This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey, Juicers, I'm Brooke. And I'm Alyssa. And welcome back to For God's Sake. Don't drink the Jones. That was completely backwards. <laughs> Whatever, we can roll with it. Yeah. I was confused, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hey, guys. Episode 20, right? 20. 20 freaking episodes. Insane. We say that every week. But no, 20 is special. It's a special occasion. It is. It is. The big, you know, 2 I think we should have a shot. just kidding i don't even drink um i hardly do ever so but that that is exciting and we're gonna have a listener juice for you guys since you've been asking for it um happy almost halloween yeah that's crazy that 2020 is almost over and why is it 80 degrees is my question yeah why is it why why is it not cold last year on halloween i froze my fucking tits off dude yes it was so cold yes but whatever no not whatever it's not okay (laughs) it's not okay i hate it here (laughs) oh god oh my oh my god oh my god what was that it was my phone oh sorry guys (laughs) oh my god the old one (laughs) um (laughs) i want to talk about a little something really quickly um i mentioned this one or two episodes ago but again um i did a calendar photo shoot with my fur babe emery okay we're gonna have to just start this whole damn thing over no it's okay <laughs> I, I don't know if they even heard that i feel like it happens a lot yeah mm-hmm. i think we've just fucked this whole thing up so i think we need to start over i think it sounds authentic and good though <laughs> it sounds good Okay, so anyway. <laughs> I mean, we can start over if you want, but I do think it probably We've would been be good. banging and, like, dude. But we do that every episode. Okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so I did a photo shoot, photo shoot with <laughs> my dog <laughs> a few weeks back um, in a calendar called uh, Wolfstock uh, 2021. So basically what this is, is a calendar myself and 23 other models did with their fur babies. And these calendar sales will go to a local animal rescue called Walking Home Together. All of the proceeds will go directly to them, which is pretty incredible. Um, So within the first, what was it? The first like... 24 hours i want to say sarah the girl that has coordinated this said that we were like over halfway sold out of the calendars so you guys definitely need to get you one it goes to a very good cause also i'm in it (laughs) (laughs) no but for all and some really wonderful fantastic beautiful people are in it as well um so you guys get you one um you can contact sarah at instagram um, her Instagram handle is S-C-V-I-L-L-A-R-R-E-A-L-O-6. Um, and she can get you hooked up with a calendar. 
I actually went today to pick out my favorite image, and we got a cute one. It is cute. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to mention that um, again. I just want to say that Sarah has the ultimate hair goals. Oh, she does. Her hair is so long and pretty. so pretty. And that booty, though. Just saying. I didn't even notice, but her (laughs) hair, it goes all the way down to her booty. Yeah. It's so long and pretty. Yeah. So shout out to uh, Sarah and Wolfstock and Walking Home Together. Get you a calendar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's something I was going to mention, but I forgot. So, oh, well. Okay. <laughs> um, I think we both have some pretty good uh, cases this week. Yeah, some kind of spooky, weird ones. So enjoy (laughs) so i guess should we just go ahead and let's do it all right so i'm doing the scream murder of cassie joe stoddart hate this it's so sad but it's also just the most idiotic ridiculous thing you'll ever hear it's so immature the two boys who 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 murder cassie are just Oh my god. I, I don't even have a word for them. Just a Complete fucking... Complete fucking idiots. Rats fresh from the sewer. That's what they are. Just... I don't even... They're, they're just terrible. Um, I do want to say that in... Okay, so this... Obviously from the title, it has something to do with the movie Scream. And um, I'm sure most of you have seen it. I actually never saw it until... I think earlier this year, maybe sometime last year, it was my first time ever seeing it. Wow. Yeah. Um, Scotty made me watch all of them and I really like them. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, so there's a lot of controversy about how horror films and horror games or just violent shooting games in general um, cause people to be violent. Bullshit. I don't think that's true. There are studies done that say that the two don't really correlate. I think that if they did correlate, most all of us would be <laughs> violent and murderers, but we're not. Exactly. Um, so I do want to say that even though their their murder, um, the murdering Cassie is loosely based off a of scream, scream, it did inspire it, but. I think it already has to be inside of you to kill mm-hmm. um, in order for that to happen. Like, I do it, think... In order to be influenced by something like that, you have to already be a f- complete nut. Right, exactly. So, um, like, Scream wouldn't inspire me to kill because I don't have the serial killer <laughs> gene in my body, but... Exactly. Some people do, so... All right, I do want to also say that I got my source for this case from mycrimelibrary.com and I listened to Morbid Podcast's uh, episode about this. Probably most of my notes came from there. Um, it They did a really good job with this case. So Cassie Jo Stoddart was born December 21st, 1989 in Pocatello, Idaho. Um there there wasn't really too much information about like you know her life before the murder like her childhood and things like that that's sad yeah um what i did find was that um her grandparents primarily raised her and all of her siblings Mm -hmm. um i don't really know if the deal is with her parents but yeah 
her grandparents raised her. Um, her brother described her as headstrong, really smart, and kind. And even though they were very close in age, him and Cassie, he still like looked up to her. So uh-huh. was he younger? Older. Yeah, he was younger by, I think, like a year. Okay. So they were very close in age. Oh. Cassie was an artistic person, um, like anything creative, um, such as drawing or acting or music. She was super into. Um, she loved playing soccer. Um, and she was a, a straight-A junior at Pocatello High School and wanted to be a lawyer when she grew up. You go, girl. So she had goals and dreams so cassie had been dating this guy named matt beckham for about five months um and they were friends with two boys named tori adamchick and brian draper um these two boys were mostly uh matt's friends Mm -hmm. um they were friends with cassie but you know like Matt was the primary friend, mm-hmm. you know, I guess they were casting them were more than acquaintances, but I don't think they had like a blossoming, beautiful yeah. friendship or whatever. Um, so anyways, uh, obviously Brian Draper and Tori Adamchek were the, are the killers of this story. So, um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about, brian draper i think that he was really the brains behind all of this he was the mastermind tori was just kind of the follower it's weird though because the way that they interact you would think that tori would probably be the one that was the head Mm -hmm. chief in charge but um and, and it may have been so but i think that brian planted things okay and brian was the main source of why this even happened in the first place So Brian was adopted and it was widely known that he had a crush on Cassie, but Cassie wasn't into Brian. Um, And then it later came out that Tori also had really liked Cassie for years. And uh, we'll post a picture of Cassie. I mean, she's beautiful. She's Mm -hmm. got long, dark brown hair. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was very beautiful. And obviously um, she had a lot going for her. These so, are all teenagers that went to school together. Correct? Yes, they were all 16. 16. Yeah. Okay. So Brian felt like a loser and an outcast. Um, obviously, his best friend was Tori. They were two huge movie buffs. Um, their favorite genre, g- genre <laughs> was horror. Um, and it was widely known that these two were huge movie buffs and super into horror and it was kind of off-putting to people how into it they were right so um so um the idea for this murder was to be just like the scream franchise Mm -hmm. like as if they were adding their own scream movie into the franchise Mm -hmm. that's what they wanted so another weird thing and horrible thing is brian was extremely fascinated by the columbine school shooting like he was obsessed with it Mm -hmm. he admired the shooters like Mm -hmm. it just he wanted to be like them 
Yuck. Yeah. Um, he wanted to be just as infamous as the shooters. Um, so Brian and Tori decided they wanted to start killing people, which I don't know how you just decide that. It's like <laughs> how these freaks find each other is what always blows my mind. Me too. I really have no idea. Like, how does that happen? Do you just... You're just like one day you're like, I, you know, man, I just really like to chop somebody's head off. And the other dude's like, yeah, me too. Or is it like, you know, you ask a bunch of people over time and they're all like, dude, you're a freak. And he's like, I'm just kidding. And then he finally <laughs> finds that one that like agrees with it. Yeah. Like I'd really like to chop a fucking head off. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Um. So I also think it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's a coincidence or if this is um, like on purpose, but you know, her name was Cassie and one of the most like well-known victims of the columbine yes. her name was cassie yes. bernal mm-hmm. um i used to have a book on her really mm-hmm. yeah uh flyleaf had a song about her mm-hmm. that i used to really love and i didn't even know about the columbine shooting when i mm-hmm. first heard that song and then when i when my dad kind of he was listening to the song while i was listening to it and he was like do you know what this is about mm-hmm. and i was like no i just thought it was a good song yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so i do think that that's very very odd that is, I never thought about that. Um, so Brian wanted to kill people like the Columbine shooters, but Tori wanted it to be more like Scream. So he wanted to be like Billy Loomis. Mm-hmm. So the two decided that they would document the whole process on a video camera, which like totally worked out in the investigator's favor exactly like why would you just record all the evidence (laughs) let's make it so easy for them and it's crazy because i have a lot of conversations conversations between brian and tori that brooke and i are going to read to you guys and it's just so insane that they would record it especially like considering what they talk about in well, these videos it's like they wanted to be caught they wanted that uh notoriety they wanted they that. didn't want to get caught though they wanted um like future serial killers and like the fbi like, to in the look future. up to them yeah which is hilarious because you're a 16 year old loser like yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing like you're just Fuck a fucking off. numpty like i don't know and they wanted um like after they were you know, they had killed a lot of people for the FBI to find the videotape and be like, oh, so this is how they do it. Oh, my God. I would have never guessed. Yeah. yeah. Glad we found this before the other serial killers did. Right. <laughs> it was a how to. Idiots. <laughs> so people who went to school with them said that the pair were constantly filming and interviewing people. Um, I really think that this adds to how scary this is because, um, so what they would do is, um, they, it was widely known that these two wanted to make their own horror film Mm -hmm. and they were writing a script for it or whatever. And so whenever they would be filming in school, talking about killing people, Mm -hmm. people just thought it was for their horror movie. Like they didn't think oh, these two motherfuckers are actually going to kill somebody. Yeah. So that's what makes it just so scary to me because think about how many of these kids probably overheard it and just just didn't think a second thought because... That's just Tori and whatever. Brian, yeah, Yeah. being fucking weird. So (laughs) 
Okay, so, um, near the end of August of uh, 2006, Tori called up an 18-year-old guy named Joe Lacero and asked him if he would buy some knives for them from a pawn shop. Um, I get, can, is it just pawn shops where you have to be 18 or, like, is it everywhere? Like, I, I think you have to be of age anywhere. Anywhere? Okay. Um, um, and Tori apparently had a knife collection, so it wasn't a suspicious request for him to want more knives. Right. So really nobody suspected this. Nobody did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Brian and Tori went with Joe to the pawn shop where Joe purchased four knives for the boys. This is where our, um, conversation comes in so if you want to grab your okay little nutty notes um so cassie wasn't their first initial plotted victim because on september 21st 2006 at 805 p.m tori was driving his car with brian in the passenger seat filming the conversation they were having on their way to their initial victim's house and thankfully she wasn't home um and in this they call the we're gonna call the victim jane doe because they didn't want to release that information i'm sure for a very good reason yeah. i mean could you could you imagine knowing that you were the first vict- intended victim yeah but your life was spared well i would want to know i feel like uh me too actually so okay so i'm going to be brian and brooke is going to be tori okay we're going for a very high death count plus we're not going to get caught brian if we're going for guns, we're just going to end it. We're going to just grab the guns and get out of there and kill everybody and leave. We're going to make history. We're going to make history. For all of you FBI agents watching this, uh, you weren't quick enough. <laughs> you weren't quick enough and you weren't smart enough. And we're going to, or we're going over to Jane Doe One's house. We, we were, we're going to snoop over there and try to see if she's home alone or not if she's home alone splat she's dead don't put your humor into this brian uh i'm not putting any humor into it yep people will die and memories will fade memories will fade i hmm i wonder what movie you got that from brian myself (laughs) that was from myself no wonder it was so lame okay we're on our way and i'm gonna i'll let you stay tuned we're almost there. So then the two get back in the car and Brian starts filming again at 8.08 p.m., which I think was it like three minutes later. Mm-hmm. We're at Jane Doe's house. It's clear out there in the pasture. We've already snooped around her house a couple of times uh, and sh- sh- she's not at home. So we're going to go to that church over there and we're going to call a girl and a guy named Cassie and Matt. They're our our friends but we have to make sacrifices so um i feel tonight it 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 is the night and i feel really weird and stuff i feel like i want to kill somebody uh i know that's not normal but what the hell i feel like we need to break away from normal life how bright is this light because let's put it this way parents along with their parents along with their parents and so on Uh uh-huh Taught them about God, Jesus, the whole bullshit. <laughs> Line. <laughs> I'm sure you guys believe in God as well. <laughs> Line. <clears throat> I realized, <clears throat> excuse me, I realized when I was in seventh grade, along 
You don't believe in Santa Claus or vampirism or werewolves. They're used to metaphor. Not let... They teach their kids back in the 1800s. I learned this in English class about telling their kids that they can't go outside or a vampire will get you. Just to make their kids stay in and do what they want to do. God is basically... That's what God's for, right? The same way. Yep. Trying to get people to do good or else so-called you'll go to hell. And we're obviously going to hell if it's real, but who gives a shit? And why would you say it's real? Yeah, but it's not real. It's not real because it's so blatantly obvious that it's not real, but... People believe it because their parents teach them, and it's so hard for them to let go of it because they've been taught it their whole life. Yeah, I know. But fucking... What? The point I'm making is we are also taught things like killing people and other things is wrong. The only thing that is wrong about it is because it's breaking the law, and the law is only wrong. Natural selection, dude. Natural selection. That's all I've got to say. There should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but... Natural selection. Hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're just going to want it more. Exactly. Goodbye, camera. So I do want to point out that fucking dumbass Tori was literally like, the only reason why killing is wrong is because it's against the law. And then he says that it shouldn't, there should be no law against killing people. And then he says, I know it's a wrong thing. (laughs) So, so, like, what? Up your mind. Which one is it? You fucking idiot. Dipshit. I hate him. So, September 21st, 2006, at 8.15 p.m., which is only a few minutes later, um, they start recording themselves again. And Brian says, my friend's too pussy to go investigate. Turn here. Too smart. Um, and then they just kind of start bickering about which way they're supposed to be driving. Now we're going to go over to Cassie and Matt's house. If they're home alone, we're gonna... It's Cassie's house. Matt is there. Matt is there. Sorry. We're gonna... We're gonna knock on the door. We'll see who is there. We'll... Well, we'll see. We'll... We'll see, see (laughs) if their parents are home or not. If they're home alone, we will leave our way and then we will come back in about 10 minutes. We'll sneak in through the door because chances are they're probably in Cassie's room. So we will sneak in the front door. We'll make a noise outside. And Matt will come out to investigate. We'll kill him and we'll scare the shit out of Cassie. Okay. Sounds like fun. Well, stay tuned. So the very same day at... 8.36 p.m., they start filming again. We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddart and her friends. We'll let you... We'll find out if she has friends over. If she's going to be alone in a big, dark house in the middle of nowhere, how perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. (laughs) Hell yeah. So we're going to fucking kill her and her friends, and we're going to keep moving on. I heard some news about Jane Doe, too. She's going to be home from, um, she's going to be home alone from six to seven. So we might kill her and drive over to Cassie's thing and scare the shit out of them and then kill them one by fucking one. Hell yeah. Why one by one? Why can't it be a slaughterhouse? Two by two and three by three, because we've got to keep it classy. Keep it classy. <laughs> you, you know what that makes me think of? <laughs> you don't know, because you don't watch movies, but Anchorman, where he says, stay classy, San Diego. Mm-mm. 
So yeah, it's going to be extra fun. You're evil. Yes, I am. So are you, dude. Evil, evil. No, evil's an expression of God. That was another test you failed. Evil is not an expression of God. Yes, it is. That's bullshit, and you know it. Evil is an origin of a follower of fucking Satan. (laughs) There is no Satan. Is Satan real? Then shut up. Then how are we supposed to express ourselves? Good and bad. We're, we're bad. We are bad. That sounds so shitty. We're evil. That sounds even shittier. Hey, we're not, okay? Then we are sick psychopaths who get their pleasure off killing other people. That sounds good, baby. We're going to go down in history. We're going to be just like Scream, except real life terms. That sounds good, baby. (laughs) We're going to be murderers like, let's see, Ted Bundy, like the Hillside Strangler. No. The Zodiac Killer. Those people were more amateurs compared to what we're going to be. We're going to be more of higher sources of Ed Gein. 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 <laughs> well, let's say we're the we're well, let's say we're that sick and that twisted. Oh, you know what Ed Gein's words were? What? He saw a girl walking down the street, right? Yeah. Two questions came to his head. Hmm. I could take her out and have a nice time with her. And then kill her? Skin her alive? Charm the pants off of her. Or I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. Okay, so in my Ed Kemper episode, I did mention how in American Psycho, they um, they used that quote. And it was when Patrick Bateman, um, so he says the line, but he misquotes it as Ed Gein when mm-hmm. it was really Ed Kemper who says it. Mm. Um, and I just really feel like these two fucking knuckleheads have no idea what serial killers are mm-hmm. and like what these motherfuckers did. Mm-hmm. And they, Tori literally got that line from American yeah. Psycho. And quoted it incorrectly thinking he was so cool. Right. Exactly. Ugh. Um, I also just want to say that, okay, there are seri- serial killers who do better than others right. <laughs> at what they do. And I feel like because the Zodiac Killer was never caught, I would venture to say he's far from an amateur. Yeah. And these motherfuckers kill one person and get caught, like, what, five days later? Mm-hmm. Like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I hate them. Holy shit. It's creepy, huh? Kick ass. Murder is power. Murder is freedom. Goodbye. So now we've made it to the day of the murder, which just so happens to be the very next day. On September 22nd, 2006, at 12.10 p.m., Tori and Brian are filming themselves while they sit at a table at school. All right, cool. I was planning to kill him. September 22nd, 2006. We're skipping our fourth hour class. We're writing our plan right now for tonight. It's going to be cool. We? Tori and Brian? We're making our death list right now. For when? For actually tonight. She's watching us. She's still watching us. (laughs) Number two is what? And then there's just like a long gap in the uh, video where uh, Tori and Brian are both scared that the teacher's going to see them. And so they're just kind of whispering about, you know, things related to that. Then... Yeah, if you're watching this, we're probably deceased. Hopefully this will go smoothly and we can get our first kill done and then keep going. For you future serial killers watching this tape, I don't know what to say. (laughs) It's, it's... 
Good luck with that. Good luck. Hopefully you don't have eight or nine failures like we have. Yeah, we've probably tried maybe 10 times, but they've never been home alone, so. Or when they have their parents show up. As long as you're patient, you know, and we were patient, and now we're getting paid off because our victim's home alone. So we got our our palm all worked out now. I, I said palm, but it's actually plan. Our plan all worked out now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cassie's family, but she had to be the one. We have to stick with the plan, and she's perfect. So she's going to die. It's terrible. It's terrible. So on that very same day, on September September 22nd, 2006, Cassie was house-sitting for her aunt um, in Pocatello, Idaho, on Whispering Cliffs Drive. Uh, they had pets that needed to be fed while they were out of town, so um, Cassie... Um, you know, or Cassie's aunt asked her, you know, just to come over and, you know, feed the dogs and just make sure that everything was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And Cassie asked her aunt ahead of time if Matt, you know, her boyfriend could come over and like watch the movies. And, you know, because Cassie's a good kid, her aunt was like, yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. You can, you can invite him over. So around 6 p.m., Cassie's boyfriend, Matt, arrived to spend time with her um, and about 37 minutes later, Tori and Brian show up, which, like, really annoyed Cassie because she kind of just wanted it to be. Yeah, she's like, why the hell are y'all here? Yeah, I mean, they're 16. Of course, they just want to be alone. And if you have the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. And then two fucking rats in a hat show up, you're going to be pissed off. So uh, when Tori and Brian got there, they told Cassie that they thought that it was a party. But Cassie was like, no, like, I'm just house sitting and, you know, trying to spend some alone time with my boyfriend. And like, mm-hmm. here you are. Right. <laughs> so um, apparently Tori and Brian had like invited other people. They were trying to make it like a party, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, probably to reenact the scream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scenario. Exactly. Or probably, you know, maybe to kill multiple people. Who knows? Maybe yeah uh but nobody ever showed up so it was literally just them two and cassie and matt uh so the two boys hung out with cassie and matt and eventually um they put in the movie kill bill um and then like after a while um of watching the movie brian like asks if he can go to the bathroom and you know cassie kind of like points and tells him where it is so he gets up he goes he comes back and then he's just kind of like i'm bored and so they tell cassie and matt that they're gonna go to the movies Mm -hmm. and see a movie even though they're you know watching a movie Mm -hmm. um and so they leave to go do that so they get in their car and they drive a little ways away from the house And this is when they change into like all dark clothing and then they put on these white masks Mm -hmm. and the white masks had a, I hate that word, masks. Mm -hmm. Um, These white masks had like blood coming from like the eyes and the nostrils and the mouth and Mm -hmm. it was, they're really creepy looking. We'll also post a picture of those. Um, And then they each had a knife and then they, you know, kind of parked by the house. So... At 9.53 p.m., Tori and Brian are sitting in the car 
filming themselves again. We're here in this car. The time is 9.50, September 22nd, 2006. Um, unfortunately, we have the grueling task of killing our two best friends, and they are right in in that house just down the street. We just talked to them. We were there for an hour, but... We checked out the whole house. We know there's lots of doors. There's lots of places to hide. Um, I unlocked the back doors. It's all unlocked. Now, we just got to wait, and, um, yep, we're... We're really nervous right now, but, you know, we're ready. We're listening to the greatest rock band ever. We've waited for this for a long time. Pink Floyd, (laughs) before we commit the ultimate crime of murder. We've waited for this for so long. A long time. Well, stay tuned. So after they filmed that stupid little fucking video, they walked to the basement door and went inside. Um... You know, because Brian had unlocked that door. Mm -hmm. It's obviously, I mean, besides everything else, besides everything else, it's obviously so premeditated. Oh, yeah. There's the unlocking the door. There's the having everything ready in their car. There's the, you know, knowing exactly where to go into that house. (sighs) It's annoying. Um. So when they get in there, they, like, start making noises to try and, like, scare Matt and Cassie, hoping that one of them will trot down the stairs to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But neither Cassie or Matt come down the stairs because would you? Probably. I would not. I would fucking leave for sure. I would be way too scared. Um, 15 minutes after they left the house to go see a movie, um, Tori and Brian used the circuit breaker to cut off the lights in the house. Bastards. Yeah. So Matt and Cassie stayed in the living room because they were super freaked out. Um, and then suddenly a few of the lights turned back on. Um, and this freaked them out really bad, especially because the dog was, like, going over to the basement door and barking like crazy and then coming back and then going back to the basement door and barking like crazy and then right. coming back. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, if your dog is freaking out, I, I mean, I don't have a dog. When we had Rampage, if Rampage was calm, yeah. it it made me feel at ease. But when he was, like, not okay, it scared me. Yeah, they know. They can sense that kind of stuff. So Matt ends up calling his mom and asking her if he could stay stay the night with Cassie because he didn't feel right leaving her. Because she's scared shitless. Yeah, and like it was freaking him out too. Mm-hmm. So he just didn't want her to be alone. Yeah. But his mom was like, nope, I'm going to come get you now. Which you can't blame her for. No. You know? I mean, they're 16 in a house alone. And, you know, she says that. She's like, you know, I don't, I don't really want you guys staying alone in this house yeah. together. Yeah. And so when she got there, um, you know, Matt was like, you know, mom, like Cassie really is freaked out. Like, are you sure it's, you know, like, can I stay pretty much? And she was like, no, but Cassie, if you're that freaked out or whatever, you know, you can come spend the night at our house. And then in the morning, I'll bring you back here. That's very nice. Yeah. And Cassie was just kind of like, you know, I made a promise to my aunt, you know, that I was going to be here and take care of their dogs and make sure everything's okay. So I'm, you know, I'm just going to stay. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay. And so um, Matt and his mom leave. 
And on his way home, Matt called Tori and told him that he had just left Cassie's Mm -hmm. um, and that he wouldn't be able to hang out that night. So I guess they had had plans for like later on in the night. Mm -hmm. Um, And so him doing this kind of gave Tori and Brian the green light. Like Cassie's all alone now. Mm -hmm. You can kill her without interruption. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, so as soon as Matt leaves, the lights in the house go off again. And obviously Cassie is terrified. Poor girl. But she doesn't leave the living room. Like she just stays on the couch and Did she not try to make any phone calls or anything? <laughs> I don't think Guess she not. did. I don't think so. And that's crazy to me because like I would have had that phone in my hand, like dialing nine one one. Like yeah. when I was her age. Like, and I feel like, what, this was 2006? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I was, like, well, I was, like, 19 at that point. But still, like, when I was home alone at her age, if I heard something weird, I had the phone in my hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would be calling my aunt and being like, hey, is it normal that your lights go on and off like yeah. this? And, like, sometimes they'll all go off, and then they'll all come back on, and then they'll go back off, and then only some of them will turn on. Yeah. Plus, I'm hearing really weird noises in the basement, and I your dogs are barking. somebody. I would have, too. Mom! Yeah. Yeah. Or not mom, I guess, but. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, So Cassidy still doesn't go downstairs to figure out what the fuck is going on. And I do not blame her. I would have done the same thing. Well, I would have called my mom and been like, hey, um, bye. I'm coming home. Sorry, aunt, but. (laughs) Yeah, this is scary. Yeah. So this is where Tori and Brian decide that they are going to go upstairs to where Cassie is. Since she won't meet uh, them down there, they're going to meet her up there. What is so horrifying to me is just all the fear she must have felt this entire time. She was probably petrified, dude. Oh, my like, God. I cannot even imagine. Ugh. Yeah. Poor, poor thing. And then it gets worse because they don't just go up the stairs. They fucking stomp up the stairs. That's nice. Yeah. To freak her out even more. Like, they wanted her fucking so horrified. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, So they stomp up the stairs, like, as loud as they can. Um, And then when they got to the top, Brian slammed the fucking door to scare her even more. Dude, her heart was probably beating a million miles a second. Like... (laughs) Um, once they got up there, they immediately attacked her. Oh. Yeah. So Tori started stabbing her first, and then Brian started soon after. Uh, the autopsy showed that Cassie had been stabbed upwards of 27 times. Oh. One with a serrated knife, and one that was not serrated. 12 of the stab wounds were considered to be potentially fatal. Oh. Uh, the serrated blade had inflicted 11 of the potentially fatal wounds, and the non-serrated only inflicted one of the mm-hmm. potentially fatal wounds. Mm-hmm. So after killing her, they just fucking leave. Yeah. And they get back in Tori's car. Yeah. And Tori starts driving away, and they f- record this conversation. So, September 22nd, 2006, at 11.31 p.m., I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm shaking. I stabbed her in the throat, and I saw her lifeless body. It just disappeared. Dude, 
I killed Cassie. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like it wasn't even real. I mean, it went by so fast. Shut the fuck up. We got to get our act straight. It's okay. Okay? We, we'll we just buy some movie tickets now. Okay. Um, And then the two went back to Tori's house, and they packed up their costumes, their murder weapons, uh, the tapes that they had made, um, and doused them with some kind of flammable liquid tried to burn all of it and then they buried it at black rock canyon so after that they returned to tori's house and watched a fucking movie um somehow during that time of like them you know uh burying their you know evidence uh they acquired two movie tickets Mm. but like I don't think the the movie tickets matched up to the time of the murder, right. so it wasn't really a strong alibi, anyways. Right. Um. So, two days later, after Cassie was murdered on September twenty fourth, two thousand six, her aunt, her uncle, and her thirteen year old cousin returned home, and unfortunately, her cousin was the first to find Cassie's body oh. in a pool of blood. In the living room. Oh. Um, they called the investigation. Or they called the investigation. They called the police and an investigation quickly began. Um, when they got there, they noticed like it wasn't, it didn't seem like a robbery. Mm-hmm. It seemed like. Somebody she knew. Yeah. Just like, you know. Somebody was let in. Yeah. There was no forced entry. Nothing was rummaged through. Everything looked exactly how it should have been besides, you know, there being I'm, I'm a dead body in the living room. Um, so we all know who is the first to get blamed when a the woman boyfriend. Yeah. Or the husband. So Matt was their very first suspect and they brought him in for questioning. Um, Matt told them that he had been trying to reach Cassie like that whole weekend But she never answered her phone and he couldn't go check on her because he didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. And like his mom had been with the car Mm -hmm. like all weekend. So Uh, the night after Cassie's murder, Tori had picked up Matt and they went back to Tori's house and Matt spent the night there. Oh, no. He asked Tori if he would take him to check on Cassie. But. Tori claimed he didn't have enough gas to do it, which is so beyond fucked up. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? Like, I wonder what was going through Matt's head when he found out that Tori and Brian were the ones <sighs> to kill his girlfriend. And he left her there. Not that he had a choice, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, Probably, I'm like, sure survivor's s- guilt. Oh, yeah. So many regrets. Like, I should have just made her come with me. I should have just talked my mom into letting me stay. You know? Yeah, and literally the very next day, he hung out with the killer and had no idea. So disgusting. That's horrible. I can't imagine, like, how traumatized he must be. Probably still to this day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um. So, the next day after Cassie was found, Cassie's mom, like, immediately called Matt and asked him what he did to Cassie. Ugh. Yeah. Because, like... That's everyone's first thought, of course. Yeah, because, you know, she knew that he was, like, the last one with her. Yeah. They didn't know about Tori and Brian coming over there. Yeah. 
Um, so September 24th, the police interviewed Tori at his house while his parents were present. He told the police that he and Brian had gone over there uh, because they thought they were go- there was going to be a party. But there was no party and they got bored, left, and went to the movies. So this is where things get even more stupid. Like, these two are the dumbest fucking people on the planet. The investigators asked him about the movie he saw, and he wasn't able to give them any details about the movie. Mm. Like, at all. Mm. Like, not about the plot, not who the the characters were, who the actors were, not a specific scene, not a song that may have been in the movie, literally nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are two movie buffs. Right. They know their shit. They're Mm -hmm. movie critics. Mm -hmm. And the investigators knew that, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so, oops, I went up too far. So, the next day, they interviewed Brian, and he gave the exact same story as Tori. Um, and when they asked Brian about the movie, the same thing. He had no details whatsoever. Literally nothing. Yeah, you didn't think too far into that. Literally, they didn't know nothing. Like, well, how did you think that this was... Did you did you think you were just going to give them the tickets, and they were going to be like, all right, you check out? Yeah. Like, no. Mm-hmm. That's not how that works. I mean, thank God, but still. Yeah. Um, they even asked Brian how he felt about Cassie being murdered, and he said, I'm very upset and very shocked about her death. And they said that Brian really did seem like he cared that Cassie was murdered. But, mm. as we all know, he's the one who did it. So then they kind of turned their attention to the high school and the students who went there. Um, they asked about Tori and Brian, and everyone said that the two were really weird and obsessed with horror movies and killing. Mm-hmm. They mentioned Tori's knife collection and that they always have a camera with them and that they were trying to make a horror movie. Um, and, you know, this is kind of when, um, like, all the students are kind of having this revelation where it's like, oh, my God, this horror movie... May have been their murder plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, At one point, a student overheard them talking to Cassie about it, and she asked if she could be in the horror movie. So Cassie literally asked Brian and Tori if she could be in their horror film whenever they decided to make it. Uh, So that's even double fucked up. uh, September 26, 2006, um, they did another interview with Brian. He's still stuck with the movie alibi. But the investigators tell him that they think it's weird that he can't tell them a single thing about the movie. Um, and that they knew that they were movie buffs. So, you know, they would know. Yeah. They would know. They would have something to say about it, Absolutely. you know? Um, so, Brian makes up a news story about how they were actually breaking into cars. And they just didn't want to admit it because they didn't want to get in trouble for stealing. Mm. But the investigators said that they had never gotten a single report of for car break-ins. Mm-hmm. So, again, doesn't add up. You. Yeah. But still, Brian stuck with the story, and his parents made him leave and go home. Uh, later on, they do more in- interviews with Tori and Brian. And this is when Brian finally says that he and Tori went through the door that he had unlocked and that they were going to leave dress up and then come back and just scare them um so they saw matt leave 
And so they go upstairs thinking that they were just going to scare Cassie. Mm-hmm. But Stor- but Tori starts attacking Cassie. Brian claims that he didn't participate in the stabbing. And he also claimed that he had talked to Tori that day. And that Tori said that if he told the police the truth, that he was going to kill him too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then Brian just tells the investigators that he'll show them the evidence. Yeah. You know, where, you know, there's a fucking home video about their murder plot so the the detectives go with brian to block rock canyon and they find the bag that the two boys had buried there and in the bag they found um two dagger styled knives with sheets a a silver and black handled knife with a smooth and non-serrated blade a folding knife with a silver blade and black handle and the point nearest to the hilt was serrated, a homemade Sony videotape, a box of stick matches, a melted brown bottle of hydrogen peroxide, partially burned notebook paper, a partially melted multicolored mask, a red and white mask, a pair of black boots, a single black glove, um, a, another pair of black gloves, and then a pair of singleless jesus christ a pair of fingerless black athletic work gloves um a black dress shirt that had cassie's blood on it and then just a regular black shirt mm-hmm. so they interviewed brian again and he stuck with the same story where he didn't do a single thing to cassie and it was all tory it was all tory's doing so the investigators obviously didn't believe this and they kind of tried to you know manipulate the conversation to kind of you know trap him into saying yeah that he was involved yeah they were leading the conversation yeah mm-hmm. so they just kind of said you know like you know Tori's a very scary person mm-hmm. you know he's obviously very dangerous like yeah. do you think maybe like just maybe you you know stabbed Cassie because you were scared yeah. of Tori? Like, if you didn't stab him, you know, he was going to kill you? Mm-hmm. And Brian was like, yeah, that kind of happened. Uh-huh. Um, so they asked Brian how many times he stabbed her. And Brian said he stabbed her four times in the leg and four times in the leg and the chest. And once he did that, he said that Tori said, you need to stab her. You need to stab her. And so Brian did it again in Cassie's leg. And Tori said, it's not going to work. She has to die. Ugh. And then Brian asked for his parents and the interview ended. On September 27th, 2006, they were both arrested and charged with first degree murder and conspiracy to commit first degree murder. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Cassie wasn't their only intended target. There was like, you know, eight, nine, or ten other initial victims. Yeah. So the defense blamed each other, and they blamed the tapes on the film, saying that they were making a horror movie, and that it had nothing to do with Cassie's death. But DNA under Cassie's nails matched Brian's DNA, so Mm -hmm. obviously, obviously they're fucking full of shit yeah um so tory's defense actually used the videotape in his favor because if you recall brian is the one who said 
I killed Cassie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it did not work. And they were both found guilty. Good. So Brian was found guilty April 17th, 2007. And Tori was found guilty June 8th, 2007 on and on August 21st, 2007, they re- they both received life in prison without parole and 30 to life for the conspiracy to commit first degree murder charge. And that is the end of <sighs> these two Moron. dumb fucking idiots. Oh, poor Cassie. It breaks my heart. Um, but I, on the same hand, I'm so glad they weren't able to get anybody else. Yeah, me too. That they were that stupid. They were insanely stupid. Like, even the way that they talk, they just oh, like, God, yeah. they're so not articulate. No, they're children. Yeah. They're, I mean, honestly. Yeah. Oh, I feel for her family. Um, I know, like, her aunt also had a hard time oh, selling her house because... I'm sure. I mean like that shit blew up in the news there and nobody wanted it i even i looked i looked on zillow the other day and i saw it there still so really it's still for sale it's been sold four times since it was built Mm -hmm. and i don't know if um well actually it said it was sold like july of this year Mm -hmm. so um I don't know. I don't know if... Uh, I know from my recollection, it was a pretty house, like on a lot of property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a pretty house. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's it, guys. Um, we'll leave you with a little ad real quick, and we'll get to the next one. Yeah, stay tuned for Brooke's case. This episode is sponsored by Seatown Babes. If you're looking for the best quality mods and juices in town, check out Seatown. They carry a huge assortment of premium juices for excellent prices. Plus, they carry CBD. They're located at 7111 Highway 278 in Covington, right next door to Cupid Slave Tattoos. Their knowledgeable and friendly employees are there to help with any questions you may have and will give you the best possible vape shop experience. Not to mention, the shop is gorgeous. I mean, truly, I've never been in a nicer vape shop. And it's family-owned and run. Shop small, guys. Again, check them out at 7111 Highway 278, Covington, Georgia. Alrighty, welcome back, you guys. Welcome, welcome. Welcome back to part two of episode 20. So, uh, I've got another pretty um, vicious one, I guess you would say, for you guys this evening. Um, but uh, so, prosecutors called this murderer the boy next door killer. Uh oh. He uh, was also known as the Hollywood Ripper in Los Angeles. Hmm. So this man lived a double life, and he's believed to have killed up to 10 women. Oh, no. 
Uh, He was attacking women and murdering them, and he was able to go undetected for almost 15 years. Oh, my God. This is a fairly recent case, being that he just recently got caught, but these murders were going on for a long time. Wow. So this particular killer would watch Shadow stalk and hunt down his victims who lived nearby before fatally stabbing them for his sexual pleasure. Don't they all? Mm -hmm. So today I will be talking about serial killer Michael Gargiulo. 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 So Michael Gargiulo is probably best known as being the monster who killed actor Ashton Kutcher's then-girlfriend in February of 2001. I know this case. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's how you know it when I said that. It's huh? fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Ashton Kutcher. I know. I love him. Yes. He's he's a good one. So we do know that Michael Gargiulo has a criminal history dating, dating back to the 1990s. We also now know that he brutally murdered three women and tried to kill a fourth. Ooh. So those are the only confirmed. But right. There are suspicions that there were more. You know, when killers have, um, like, they've gone a long time undetected, Mm -hmm. and then they're only charged with, like, three, Mm -hmm. they have to have murdered. Oh, absolutely. And these these women were, there was, like, years in between them, too. Yeah. So, um, he was a person of interest in two murders as early as 2003, but it would take another five years and two more victims before he was finally arrested. Oh, my God. So... Uh, Michael Thomas Gargiulo was born February 15th, 1976 in Glenville, Illinois, and he spent his childhood there. Glenview is a suburb just northwest of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Michael was one of seven children. Michael Gargiulo told a psychiatrist that he was abused by both his father and his siblings when he was growing up. But these claims were never confirmed. I believe it. Gargiulo attended Glenbrook South High School and had a reputation as being a bully with a quick temper. I also believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, an old friend, Scott Olson, told a monthly uh, Chicago magazine to watch him in action with something else. This guy would go from normal to crazy in like a second. The switch would flip, and he would just become almost inhuman. Gargiulo was involved in a battery incident at his high school and was caught breaking into unlocked cars. He allegedly stole a cell phone and a bag out of two of the vehicles. He pleaded guilty to burglary and was placed on an 18-month probation in order to pay a $200 fine. $200? Yeah. So those were like his first, you know, just petty craft petty crime (laughs) um you know things so from early childhood doug i want to make sure i say this right doug pacaccio pacaccio uh who was a friend of michael's and his sister trisha lived around the corner from michael Mm -hmm. trisha pacaccio a popular studious uh cheerleader Uh, who graduated from high school in 1993 and planned to attend Purdue University in Indiana that fall, um, met up with some friends for dinner and a scavenger hunt on the night of Friday, August 13th. So 
Doug is a very good friend of Michael, and uh, Trisha is Doug's sister. So they've all like been neighborhood, you know, buds or right. whatever. So um, after the get together, Trisha dropped her friends off and got home around one a.m. The following morning, while walking out to his van, Trisha's father, Rick Picaccio, found her dead on the front steps of her house. Oh, my God. She had been stabbed 12 times, and her arm was broken. She was only 18 years old. Poor girl. I know. So, although DNA was found underneath her fingernails, there was limited forensic technology back in 1993. Yeah. And, unfortunately, investigators couldn't identify a suspect through the samples. Sad. Yep. So, that was crime one that Mr. Michael here got away with. Right. Or so he thought. So, 17-year-old Michael Gargiulo had driven Trisha to a friend's house in his car two days before her murder and was questioned by authorities, but he pushed uh, blame on another teen from the area. No charges were ever filed against him, and the case was considered cold. Mm. Diane Picaccio, Doug and Trisha's mother, said that Michael was an odd child. Although Doug and Michael were friends, she said that Trisha never had much contact with him. Um, She recalled a time that she went to the Gargiulo home to pick up her younger son who had been playing with one of the Gargiulos. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said that she was shocked by a conversation that she had with his parents. She said that the parents said, we are afraid of Michael. Oh, my God. We would like to kick him out of the house, but we're afraid he'll come back and kill us. Can you imagine thinking that about your own child? Oh, my gosh. So, and then his father said he probably needs medicine, but he won't take it. That's when you force it. Well, it sounds like at this point he was already a teenager and it's like, "Eh, what do you do, you know? So, uh, the Picaccio family moved out of their home for four years, um, not being able to handle the li- uh, living in the home where their daughter had been murdered. Yeah. Eventually, they decided it was time to come back home. Shortly after their move back in, they had an unexpected visitor. Let me guess. Former high school football player, Michael Gargiulo. Look at me. I'm so sorry. Let's see. I always sneeze. Who, again, was one of uh, Doug's closest childhood friends. Right. So did, did I mean, what did he, Doug think about him? What do you mean, what did he think about him? Like, they about. They were buddies. Yeah, but, like, he's the weird one, right? The one that this is about? Michael? Yeah. Yes. So, so if everybody else was scared of him, what did his, what did his friend I think? I guess he is just friends, and, like, they were cool, so. Okay. You know. So, uh, according to CBS News, Diane Picaccio, Trisha's mother, said, Michael showed up at the door and says, I need to talk to Rick. And I said, well, he's at work, Michael. And he said, well, can I wait? And I said, yes. So, he sat down and waited for over an hour for Rick to come home from work. He sat at my kitchen table. For an hour? For an hour. What a freak. Rick Picaccio said, I remember walking in the garage door and I looked at him. He had this look on his face like he was going to say something to me. But before Michael Gargiulo had the chance to say anything, the garage door opens. His father and one of his sisters come in and say, we have to leave Michael. And they picked him up and whisk him out and the door closed. 
And I told Diane, I says, golly, that was kind of odd. Maureen Malher with CBS asked Rick, at that point, Rick, did you think this kid knows something or maybe he had something to do with it? And Rick replies, yes. Maureen Maher says, you believe that was the moment may have had something to do with her death. Rick Picaccio uh, says, oh, there was no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Oh, my God. So they're already, like, super sketched yeah. out by him and think that he had something to do with it. Yeah. So the Picaccios did tell the authorities, but it was too late. Michael Gargiulo had disappeared. Hmm. Um, an ex-girlfriend later claimed that she was raped by Gargiulo in 1995. She said that they were in a romantic relationship, but they had broken up. And the last time she saw Michael, he had forced her into the back of his work van, handcuffed her, and raped her while they were on a date. Oh, my God. So she says that she pleaded with him to stop, and then he did. He abruptly turned away and said that he would drive her home. She said that he threatened her as he dropped her off, claiming to have memorized her work schedule and that he would also hurt her family if she told anyone about what had happened. So, in the late 1990s, Gargiulo followed his brother out to Los Angeles. He wanted to be an actor or a model. He was a good-looking guy, by the way. So... Uh, having boxing experience, he landed a job as a bouncer at the Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood. Okay. So at the Rainbow, uh, Gargiulo became close friends with two of the fellow bouncers, Timur Leary and Anthony DiLorenzo. These men say that Gargiulo always had girls after him. They say that he was a good-looking, clean-cut guy. Leary and DiLorenzo claimed that one day in 2000, while driving around in L.A., Gargiulo admitted to Trisha uh, Picaccio's murder. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And DiLorenzo tells 48 Hours, he's like, you guys ever kill anybody? And he's like, I have. And then he goes, yeah, I buried a bitch. I left the bitch on the steps for dead. So these people... Kind of the same situation, like, with yours. Like, this guy was, like, telling folks and trying to tell folks. And it's, like, he should have been caught a lot sooner than he was. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say if somebody confesses to murder to me, whether it's real or not, I'm I'm telling telling the police. Yeah. Right. So, the men say that they didn't believe Gargiulo as he was known to lie and exaggerate. Um, And they didn't notify the authorities until after his arrest for the Hollywood Ripper killings. Gargiulo was eventually fired from the rainbow for punching a customer. (laughs) What? He's a psycho. He's a freaking psycho. Oh, my God. So he then started working in heating and air. That fall, Gargiulo became friends with 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin, who was a fashion student who lived a couple of blocks away from him in Hollywood. What started off as a flirtatious chat and an exchange of phone numbers between two attractive 20-somethings became an infatuation with Ashley for Gargiulo. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm so glad I'm not in the dating scene because holy oh, shit, it scares me. Creepers. Ashley Ellerin was a beautiful, fun-loving, and she had just a 
ginormous circle of friends. When she arrived in Hollywood in 1999, she started modeling. Uh, interesting fact, she dated several young actors, including Vin Diesel and Ashton Kutcher. Mm. So Gargiulo started calling Ashley constantly. He would show up at her home at all hours of the night. Oh, my God. I would be so annoyed. Uh, Go the fuck home. Yeah. And once he was seen sitting in a car outside of her house in the middle of the night. Creeper. Can you imagine? I feel like there's just so many times this guy, like, could have been, like, locked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is stalking. It's... uh, I don't even... mm. So, on the night of February 21st, 2001, uh, Ashley Ellerin was getting ready to go with her boyfriend, Ashton Kutcher, to a Grammy Awards party. He arrived at her house a couple hours later than planned. That's shitty. Uh, So, when he knocked on the door around 11 p.m., Ellerin did not answer. Kutcher just assumed that she was mad at him for being late and that she'd left. Um, He would later testify in court that he peered into her window and that he saw red stains on the floor and assumed it was spilled red wine. That's weird. Yeah, I thought it was weird, too. (laughs) And as we all can guess, it was not wine. Uh, Kutcher, who later uh, later testified in court, said that he was worried he would become a suspect because he had touched her door and her doorknob and he was freaking the fuck out. Um, but authorities quickly cleared him. Yeah. I would be freaking out, too. Yeah, same. So, uh... That's kind of like how in mine, too, you know, um, you know, the they, they found, um, you know, Brian and Tori's DNA in the house, but, like, it didn't really do them any good because they knew that they were there. Exactly. So, uh, one of Ellerin's roommates returned home the next morning and found Ashley on a landing outside of her bedroom in a huge pool of blood. Blood splatter marked the walls, ceiling, and even a nearby bathroom. Oh, my God. Shortly after she'd gotten out of the shower in preparation for her date with Ashton Kutcher, someone... <laughs> is that how you say his last name, or is it Kutcher? Kutcher. 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 Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> Kutcher. I don't know. I've never now heard of Ashton Kutcher. You say Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. Mm-hmm. Ashton. Ashton Kutcher. No, I'm going to YouTube it. I don't freaking know. <laughs> I, I really don't think it's Kutcher. Okay. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher. Maybe it is. Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. I don't know. I'm confused now. Okay. So um, after she'd gotten out of the shower in preparation for her date with Ashton... Someone had stabbed Ashley 47 times. It was obvious that she had tried to fend off the assailant with her hands and arms, even grabbing the blade of the knife at one point. Oh, my God. She was a fighter. Um, Ashley Ellerin was stabbed in the chest, abdomen, and in the back. And some of the wounds were so deep that they had pierced her lung. Oh, my God. Twelve of her wounds, some up to six inches deep, would have been fatal by themselves, according to a medical examiner. You said six? Twelve. Oh, twelve. Oh, my God. Uh, And this was an overkill. Yeah. Someone was very upset. The back of her head had been stabbed as well, and her head was nearly severed from her spinal cord. Oh, why why did they have to do that? I know. 
So detective said it was a bad scene, a lot of anger, a lot of rage. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Somebody had isolated her to kill her and was very, very angry when they did it. So after speaking with Ellerin's friends and family, detectives with the L.A. Police Department began looking for a man who her friends referred to as Mike the Heater Man. (laughs) Okay. A month before Ellerin died, she had thrown a party and Mike had been invited. He sat on a couch, didn't socialize, and stared at Ellerin the entire time. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, after doing some digging, the investigators got a name, Michael Gargiulo, and a driver's license photo. At the same time, detectives from Gargiulo's neck of the woods were re-examining the evidence from the Trisha Picaccio murder. They retested the DNA found at the crime scene and gathered samples from anyone who had been in contact with Trisha the days prior to her death, which included Michael Gargiulo. Cook County detectives flew to Los Angeles in 2002, and in an insane case of coincidence, they contacted the LAPD detectives investigating the Ellerin murder to ask for help loca- locating Gargiulo. Gargiulo was eventually tracked down and reportedly fought with detectives before having a DNA sample taken at a hospital emergency room. Mm-hmm. That sounds suspect. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was a positive match with the DNA found under Trisha's fingernails. Yeah. The Cook County State Attorney's Office, however, refused to indict Gargiulo, claiming that DNA could have been exchanged through casual contact. Under fingernails, So though? he gets away with it again. Under fingernails? Yeah. Excuse, I really don't think that that's how that works, but okay. Yeah. So in Gargiulo's favor, yet again, the LAPD had no physical evidence that tied Gargiulo to Ashley Ellerin's murder, and no charges were filed against him. I'm just going to go ahead and say that the LAPD, they're fucking idiots. Yeah. Like, not just with this case, but in other cases, too, they are just fucking idiots. They have no idea what they're doing. You'd think they'd be a little bit more on their game, considering so many of these murders and stuff are, like, famous people, and, like... Exactly. It's all gonna come out, dude. Like, do your fucking job. Jesus. (sighs) So, uh... One of Gargilo's former girlfriends, who he had met while fixing fixing her air conditioning, later told police that in 2003, he punched her in the face and threatened to kill her, claiming that he would get away with it because of his, quote, extensive knowledge of forensics. Yeah, okay, buddy. She claimed that he stalked her and filed a restraining order against him. Uh, Michael Gargiulo had a lot of girlfriends so just keep that in mind he 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 got around okay um another one said that that he punched her once and that she suffered a detached retina from it why is he always punching these girls he's a psycho he's a freaking lunatic what the fuck another girlfriend called police when he shocked her with a taser gun oh okay yeah just casually i mean insane so, we're going to fast forward a little bit to 2005. Uh, Gargiulo had become a father at this point. Oh, God almighty. I know. And is living with another woman in El Monte. When did he punch her, too? Uh, probably. So, he's living with another woman um, in a suburb east of L.A. 
Maria Bruno, a tiny 90-pound, 32-year-old mother of four, lived across the street from them in the same apartment complex. Just 10 days after Maria Bruno moved in, in the early hours of December 1st, 2005, Gargiulo uh, snuck into her home through a kitchen window and murdered her. She was found the next morning by her estranged husband with her throat slashed, along with 17 other stab wounds, and her breasts had been removed. Oh my god. Her breast implants had been uh, tried to be removed. And one of her breasts were placed over her open mouth. Yeah. What a fucking sick freak. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles Sheriff's uh, Detective Mark Lillianfield says, I've been a homicide detective for 17 years, and this was one of the most gruesome scenes I've ever seen. There was a massive amount of blood. It's amazing what type of damage one person could inflict on another. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. in ninety five or ninety pound. Yeah, tiny woman. little. Oh my woman. god, what? Why? Why does he hate women so much? Jesus. I don't know that he hates women. He is infatuated with these women, and he hunts them down like they're his prey. And He's a he fucking, fucking predator because it gets him off. He's a sick fuck. I hate him. Yeah, it just seems like not infatuation. It just seems like he fucking hates women. Because I mean, maybe. You ever been infatuated with someone and cut off their boob? Nope. Okay, me either. So, um, the only clue found at this crime scene was a blue surgical uh, shoe slipper, which contained contained a drop of Bruno's blood and was discovered outside of her apartment. Bruno had once commented to friends that there had been a weird guy at her building who had been seen watching her. Hmm, I wonder who that was. Mm Mm-hmm. About five days before her death, the man had followed her from the parking lot into her home Mm -mm. and then exited about 10 seconds later. He walked into her house. What? Yeah. When asked about it, she told neighbors, oh, he's okay. Pardon? Pardon? I guess. Because I think, and this happens a lot with like decent looking men, Mm -hmm. people think because they're decent looking, they can't be like a murderer. I don't care how attractive you are. If you step foot in my house uninvited, I'm yeah. calling the fucking police. Exactly. But, like, it's like Ted Bundy. They didn't think anything of it because he's a decent-looking guy. Who was the other one that recently we were like, you know, people just didn't think because he looked clean-cut. He looked normal. Like, looks don't mean shit. They really fucking don't. Don't so. trust a single person, guys. No. So, uh, Gargiulo and his then-girlfriend broke up. He left her and the baby and moved to Santa Monica. Thank God. And found a new girlfriend. Oh, no. And once again, wherever Gargiulo went, an attack eventually followed. Do they not recognize this pattern? Well, clearly investigators knew this pattern and didn't care enough to fucking do something about it. Or they're just fucking idiots and don't recognize it. Right. Oh, my God. So, across the alley from their second-story apartment lived Michelle Murphy, a 5'1", 27-year-old. It was later determined that Gargiulo had a direct line of sight into Murphy's bedroom. On the night of April 28, 2008, Murphy was awakened as a man in a hoodie and a baseball hat repeatedly stabbed her in the chest. Miraculously, as petite and small as this lady was... She was able to kick him 
and fight him off. Good for her. During this fight, Murphy's attacker had cut himself as they struggled over his knife. Good. She said later in court that she fought with everything she had, chased him out the door, and while suffering from multiple stab wounds, and that while he was leaving out her front door while dripping word, uh, I'm sorry, dripping blood, her attacker said, I'm sorry. Bitch, what? Yeah. What? I'm sorry. So, detectives with the Santa Monica Police Department ran the bloody DNA through a national database, which matched Gargilo's sample from the Pagashi I'm sorry. Bitch, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Why did you... You're sorry, why? Because you know you're about to get busted? Because you didn't Piece of shit. Like, that is amazing to me. Like, she's a freaking hero. Like, if it wasn't for her, like, it probably would have been more women. Right, yeah. Good Little bitty lady just kicked him. Yeah, fight like hell, you guys. Yes. So, Gargilo was finally arrested in June of 2008 on an an attempted murder charge and held on a $1.1 million bail. Good. Yeah. A search of his car produced a bag of tools and blue shoe slippers. Hmm. While a second search of his apartment in El Monte led directly to the discovery of the matching booty used in maria bruno's murder wow wow they finally did something fucking right yeah gargilo was charged with the murders of ellerin and bruno in september 2008 uh it would be another three years before prosecutors in gargilo's hometown felt like they had enough to indict oh no finally in july of 2011 michael gargilo was charged with the 1993 murder of trisha picaccio good uh Yes. So, uh, Gargilo's California uh, trial started in May of 2019 with prosecutors labeling him a serial sexual thrill killer um, who got off on sadistically murdering beautiful young women. Was there ever a semen found at these? No. No. And I will talk a little bit about that um, in just a second. Okay. uh, The prosecution painted a portrait of michael gargiulo throughout his life they said that he was violent towards women he was infatuated interested however you want to say it with uh ted bundy Mm -hmm. and that he studied forensic science prosecutors also said that gargiulo studied a book that taught you how to kill with a knife what the who writes shit like that weird right and say that he stalked and spied on women who he found attractive so I don't know that it was like a hate thing. I think he was genuinely like infatuated with these women. Sounds like the show you. I haven't seen it. You know, I don't watch TV. <laughs> Brick, come on, get with, get with the program. Literally, <laughs> get get with it. People would love to hear us talk about you. They love that show. Hmm. You need to watch it for real. Okay. So um, they say that although he never raped his victims, the control over them was a sexual thrill for him. And that spying on them was all a part of his power trip and his pattern. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't raping them that like got him off. It was literally just like the prey and predator type thing. So I'm just confused on how that works. Like the ultimate goal for him was not to rape these women. It was to murder them. That's what got him off. I know, but how do they get off to that? I've heard of serial killers getting off to that. Like just orgasming while you're i guess i've read recently about a serial killer 
it's actually a female that I may cover eventually. And I was reading that she claims to have had orgasms every time she stabbed this particular person. I just don't get that, Isn't that at sick? all. Like, uh, I just don't get it. <laughs> That's pretty disgusting. I don't understand. <sighs> Gargiulo's defense team argued that he had, quote, no recollection of attacking Murphy due to him having disassociative personality disorder, which is a mental illness often marked by memory gaps. They claimed that he cannot premeditate and that he cannot deliberate oh and that he can't have malice of forethought. Whatever. His lawyer had high hopes for no death penalty. How the fuck can you not premeditate something when you're literally studying a book on how to kill people with a knife and you're watching forensics. women for weeks before doing it? That is, I don't know how they felt comfortable with that defense. Oh, that's ridiculous. Well, they're saying because he has disassociative personality disorder that he doesn't remember any of this. Well, he just disassociates when he's doing anything related Bad, to that. Yeah, I can't. Exactly. I mean, maybe I would, I would assume, I would think that maybe during the act you could disassociate but not everything else no, not while you're planning this for right. weeks watching these women so uh, yeah his lawyer had high hopes for no death penalty and he said you don't kill people that are mentally ill it's just a matter of humanity i think that is such a slap in the face to the victims yeah you had no humanity when you butchered these women you fucking fuck so you don't kill people who are not right in the head but it's okay for them to kill people yeah. just living their everyday lives. Yeah. Okay. So a uh, neuropsychologist, Deborah Budding also testified for the defense and she revealed that Gargiulo was in special education for most of primary school due to behavioral issues. We all know that he has anger issues. There is still no reason to be a psycho murderer. What does being in special ed have to do with anything? I don't know. I guess because of his behavior issues that he had to be in special education. So that was important for them, to, for the court to know, I guess. Whatever. Fuck you, Deborah. Yeah. So Michael. Wait, what was her name? Deborah? Yes. Okay. Michael Gargiulo was found guilty on all charges. And in fall of 2019, jurors unanimously recommended that he be put to death. Yeah, I agree with that. Sadly, that year, however... Governor, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom Mm -mm. suspended the death penalty indefinitely. Oh, my God. Why? I know. Because it's California. That's why. (laughs) Oh, God. So a superior court judge set a formal uh, sentencing date for February 28th, 2020. But it has since been delayed after a defense motion was filed seeking a new trial. Gargiulo's extradition to Illinois to go on trial for the murder of Picaccio has yet to been uh, yet to be scheduled. And it's 2020. And we're talking he murdered her in what was it 93? Yeah. Yeah. So. Insane. Are her parents still alive? Do you know? I am not sure. That's sad. I I would assume probably so. But. Well I hope that they don't die before they get get there. Yeah. So, yeah, that is it. That's all I got. What a fucking freak. Freak. So, when I said Ashton, Kutcher, Kutcher, uh, girlfriend, you knew? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Ashton, 
Kutcher. I think it's Kutcher. Kutcher. Not Kutcher. Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Kutcher. <Same. laughs> I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I've always heard it as Ashton Kutcher. Kutcher. Yeah. Well, um, I guess that's it. Uh, do do we have anything to add before ca- or uh, closing out? I'm hungry. Um, same always. <laughs> I'm always hungry. I'm I'm really am always hungry. It's mm-hmm. that's why I'm a whale. Oh, stop. Um, I guess uh, we can plug our social medias. Mm-hmm. Um, you can join our Facebook group at For God's Sake Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Um, our Instagram is uh, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Our TikTok is Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Send us your listener uh, stories, like your own personal true crime, paranormal, whatever stories, um, to our Gmail, uh, which is Don't Drink the Jones Juice at gmail.com. And um, it may get read in, an, in a listener juice episode. Um, what's oh our our merch um we have uh a storefront here um that has a lot of different shirts and sweaters and long sleeves and uh we have we even have a face mask and we also have kid size shirts so you guys go check that out um it's storefrontier.com slash don't drink the jones juice and 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 we've partnered with um zen expressions or zen zen expression um they created us a super badass uh for god's sake don't drink the jones juice shirt it's like uh so what she does is she has black shirts and she like bleaches them and then tie dyes it um a beautiful purple color and then it just says for god's sake don't drink the jones juice um there's only two day two or three days left to order these um so if you want one you can message uh, me, Alyssa, um, on Facebook, or you can DM us on Instagram. You can email us or Gmail us. Um, you can, you know, um, message Vanessa Bailey on uh, Facebook or Zen Expression. Um, either way, um, send us your size and your email, and we'll get an invoice sent to you. These shirts are limited edition, so if you want one, yeah, you got two, two or three days to order one. So I think that's it. That's all, folks. <laughs> and that's all, folks. Uh, for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. <laughs>